0: And welcome to a living my my name is Noel Fogelman. my guest today is Skip Raparis now Skip's best remembered for portraying Monty the color man in the first two major league movies the original was celebrating believe it or not its 30 year anniversary man I'm old and the disappointing sequel that came out five years later in 1994 you guessed it is celebrating its 25th anniversary we discuss both movies we talk about how he landed the role working with Bob Uecker and just his overall experience Filming both those movies, but Skip is not really an actor. He's an accomplished singer-songwriter, and for the past few years, he's been doing this amazing variety show called The Heroes of Rock. And he takes a journey and does a hundred different voices of just people who made an impact of rock, starting with the 40s, 50s, and 60s. Go check out some clips on his website, SkipGraparis.com. It's fantastic. He does the show right now in the Midwest. Hopefully. It'll go national. He's hoping it does. And before that, before even Major League, back in the 70s, he was in Olivia Newton-John's band. And before Greece, Olivia Newton-John was a mega star. So he talks about just his time with Olivia. And super nice guy, very funny guy. And I hope you enjoy my conversation with Skip.
1: Before we you know, talk about, obviously, 30 years of... Major League, which is unbelievable. I just want to talk about what you're doing now, which I really, really enjoyed from what I saw, the uh, Heroes of Rock show that you do. Oh, thank you. Yeah. yeah, Talk a little bit about that.
2: Sure. It's a one-man stage show. It's just me and the guitar. Uh, I don't believe in pre-recorded tracks. I like it all to be honest and you know real and happening in the moment. And uh, it's a history of rock, Uh, it's called The Heroes of Rock, it's a history from the blues in the late 40s, and then in chronological order, um, through the Woodstock Festival in 1969. And uh, I do about 100 vocal impressions in it, and and, uh, accompany it with the guitar, and uh, it's funny, It's, it's, you know, historical, and just a what a period for great music so uh um i enjoy it the audience uh, loves it and um so far basically in the you know midwest here you know tri-state area or whatever if you will and hoping to go national with it
1: yeah that'd be great would love to see that um now there's obviously every artist you can think of from that era you do impressions of but who would be right the- the hardest one for you to do? Like who, who took you the longest time to kind of like master? Oh, wow. The hardest.
2: Hmm. Boy, you, you, you threw me one there. (laughs) Uh, they're all kind of hard to do. Well, um, I think the one that I'm, uh, least, uh, content with is my Stevie wonder. (laughs) Okay. Uh, uh, well, for one thing, I, I I don't play keyboard so I can't, you know, I, I, when I'm doing Ray Charles or Fats Domino or whatever, right. I'm still playing it on the guitar. So there's yeah. a, a little bit of a limitation there, but getting his voice down has been um, a challenge. That's one of the voices that I, you know, I think I'm close, but I'm my own worst enemy. And that, that one, uh, uh, because it's so high and, you know, they all have a certain timbre. You know, everybody's voice is different. So that one is that one's a challenge. Uh I do it in the context of a actually a personal story where, where when I met Stevie Wonder and uh it was actually at a um at a birthday party for Olivia Newton John okay. who I used to play for. We'll get I guess we'll get into that later. But yeah. uh and he was there by himself and I went up and talked to and I was so nervous. I just you know, I just blew it. Right so, uh I in my show I take that and kind of embellish it a little bit, you know, based mm-hmm. on, on a true experience, but for, you know, comedic effect, I take it, you know, take it a notch up, and uh, I have so much respect, uh, you know, for him, he's just one of the giants of music, you know, writing, playing, singing, um, but I got to meet him, unfortunately, unfortunately, I didn't, I was so nervous, I didn't do as well as I would, I, you know, in retrospect, mm-hmm. would have liked, but show showbiz.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. You do the Who, uh, Beatles, and Sullivan, Roy Orbison. I mean, there's, there's so many. Funny, Ollie, yeah. Buddy Ray Charles. I mean, if, if you like music from that era, the show will definitely. Yeah,
2: be yeah. Uh, it's funny, Ray Charles. I, I, I never thought I did that well, but, but that's one that people say, boy, you really nailed Ray Charles. And oh, thank you. Okay. Uh, he, 'cause he talked about another giant uh, in music. I mean, the man practically single-handedly invented soul music in the 1950s, culminating with, uh, tell me what I say, with the, uh, you know, taking gospel music and and turning it pop and with call and answer and so on, just kind of the epitome of, of, uh, you know, church gospel music turning into,
1: you know, fun pop music. How did you come up with the idea for the show?
2: Actually, um... Well, I had been doing a comic impression act for 20, 30 years, uh, and my—I my, have a first cousin, John Cordigan, or Cords, as he's known, who is the front man for a a, a hip hop tribute band called Two White Crew, <laughs> uh, which at the time was all white, but it has as. And you know, kind of integrated sense, right. but it's still a funny name they keep it. and They're known for it. They're really good. And he said, you know, you ought to do a history of Rodgers. You're almost doing it now. Why don't you just take it a little further? And I, I didn't jump on it. Uh, I, I kind of let it, uh, you know, simmer in my brain a little bit. And uh, eventually, yeah, let's let's give this a shot. And as I started writing it, uh, uh, it was a tremendous growth. Period. I, I I thought I knew everything I needed to know. I didn't, uh, especially with uh, rhythm and blues in the late 50s. I mean, late 40s, early 50s, and so on. It was an education, and uh, so and, and a much worthwhile education. It's stuff I you know I, I should have known, um, and uh, so it's just constantly kind of evolving. I'm always trying to improve it. Uh, better songs, better dialogue, better segues, uh, better encores. You know, I always do two, three encores. The audience is, is so revved up by that point, right? And um, so it's just a, it's just it's a gas to to do, and thankfully audiences just eat it up.
1: Um, it, how long did you like kind of like work on it before you actually took it to an audience? Before, oh man. Um,
2: Probably a year or two. Wow. And um and then I got it out there and uh and, and they loved it right away but I knew it it needed work and uh so it's been uh, you know, I'm I'm a perfectionist, which is good on one hand, and maddening on the other hand. Right. You know, I'm my own worst critic. And uh so I'm always trying to make it better. You know, do the voices better, do the physicality better, uh, make it smarter, more economical, funnier, you know, all that stuff. Just keep, just, I never, I work on it every day. And and also just staying in shape vocally. I'm not a, a young man anymore. Mm-hmm. And to do all these incredible voices, uh, I I just have to keep working at it, you know, to stay sharp and. Uh, to keep my vocal cords flexible, to do the you know incredible range that I have have to do in this show.
1: You do any like warm ups prior to the show?
2: Oh yes, yeah, uh, scales and so on. You know the usual kind of warm ups right. you would do uh, as a singer or a choir uh, member, whatever. Absolutely. Right. Uh, and then I and I I, I adjust the show so that I don't start out with. Um, of uh, range extremes. Uh, the, when I first started doing the show, actually the the, the original uh, a title of the show it was the The Guys Who Gave Us Rock, which was derived from a Beach Boy song um, that had the the words the uh, The Guys Who Gave Us Rock and Roll. Although that was, I'm trying to remember what the title was, but uh, and so you kind of do a little bit of some of the you know major artists in in this opening number. But I was hitting these, you know, just jumping right out there, hitting these extreme low notes and extreme high falsetto. And uh, it's like, okay, that's really not a great way to to start a show. When you've got it, you know, it's a two hour show, including an intermission. Right. So I kind of have to pace myself a little bit. So I I rewrote it. uh, I use a bit of Chuck Berry's rock and roll music to open up. Uh, And uh, uh, eventually I, you know, I've got about three and a half octaves. To work with and uh I use all of it and um but uh it's uh, it's a joy to do it's what I you know I'm a performer at heart that's what I live for and um I'm just hoping it can you know spread to other other parts of the country would be great because it, it has universal appeal it's not just a it's not Chicago themed show right
1: Yeah, all those artists, yeah. It would would do really well, I think, anywhere in the country. Absolutely.
2: I would like to think so.
1: Yeah, Yeah, right. And you mentioned before that you uh, were were in Lilia Newton-John's band uh, back in the 70s. Uh, How how, how did that happen? How did that happen?
2: Um, A drummer friend of mine, uh, I was in a group called Trilogy, 1969, 70, 71, in the Chicago area, and we did an album on Mercury Records. And our drummer was a guy named Bernie Persie, phenomenal drummer, who, who after recording the album, moved to um, Minneapolis and wound up playing in a jazz fusion band. Well, when Olivia first came to this country, she worked out of an agency out of Minneapolis, and so this band would double as her touring group. So they, you know, and she was playing kind of heavy country stuff at the time with some pop. And um, they needed a guy. A guy wasn't working out that uh, they were adding on for her show. That, that played finger-picking acoustic guitar and sang some, you know, backup vocals and so on. So they let him go and they brought me in. And uh, so for the first year, I kind of worked for the band, who was then working for her. Right. So they they had a falling out. And operations shifted to Los Angeles, and I was the only guy that was kept on. And so, uh, when I wasn't living in LA, I just fly out there for rehearsals, and then we do a, you know, two-month tour or whatever at a time. And uh, uh, I I enjoyed the music. It was a challenge. I was playing. Uh, I was kind of new at finger picking. I wasn't uh, really really an expert. And uh, and I had to kind of learn these, what for me were difficult parts initially. So it was a challenge to learn them and then to play them uh, perfectly every night. Um, and uh, and I kind of enjoyed the music. You know, she had some nice songs and she was great to work with. What an awesome lady. Just uh, gorgeous, as everybody knows, but also as sweet as you would think, hope. Right and uh always nice to me and um so i just i love those years i mean there you know there's there's stuff on the road that you know traveling is not a hell of a lot of fun in itself you know you just right, it's, right. it's all that you know getting in buses or getting in planes or whatever and uh uh you live for the the show although traveling by plane back then was a lot easier than it,
3: than it is now, now. Right? yeah
2: Back then I would carry my guitar on board and then they would throw it in a closet, you know, and that sure. was, yeah. that was it. Uh, now I've got to, uh, you know, I've got to check it in. Right.
3: Uh, I, don't know if gonna, uh-huh.
2: I don't know if it's going to be there when I arrive. Right.
3: So true. I don't
2: know what condition it's going to be in. I've seen those guys just drop them, guitars from like, you know, waist level down to the floor. They don't care.
3: Right.
2: And, um, but back then it was kind of easy. i tell you one, one tour, we had our own jet for the whole tour, our own stewardesses. It was called the starship and it it had been used by, oh, the Rolling Stones, you know, maybe Elton John. I'm trying to remember now. And so that was, I don't know how they, I I doubt if they made much money on, on that tour, but, uh, what a luxury. So you'd, you'd, you know, you'd finish the show. There'd be a limo waiting for you. You get in the limo, limo drive here to the stairs of the jet. You walk up the stairs and there you are. And then you're, you know, uh, Paul Williams was the opening act for that tour. I don't know if you know, do you remember him? He was a songwriter,
3: very oh, short yeah. in
2: stature, wrote, yeah. uh, you know, uh, songs for the Carpenters and Three Dog Nights, stuff like that. So his, uh, they were the opening act and they would, they would do their show, the opening act. And then they'd go back to the, the jet and just drink, all drink all night. <laughs> right. So I I can't imagine that they, that uh, that, that was the, the one and only time we used that jet because yeah. uh, I can't imagine that Olivia made any money on that. But good times, great memories. And, and uh, yeah, at some point, was- she said, yeah, at the end of 19, we did a world tour at the end of 1978, Okay. And she said, "I'm going to be taking a lot of time off. Don't wait for me." And as it turns out, she didn't go back on the road for another four years, uh, and I, I had gone on to you know to do other things. But right. Yeah. Yeah, because
1: yeah, I, I guess her acting career really took off then with Greece and uh, everything else. I
2: don't know if I yeah. God,
1: I don't think my acting career ever took off. I mean, I was <laughs>
2: doing I was doing some Chicago theater.
3: Right.
2: And I was I, talking about I, that. Uh, <laughs> What's that? Oh, her First, acting huh? career. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. First, hear yeah. Hear yeah. Although, yeah. Um. Uh. Yeah. Uh. Although Zanadu was uh, uh. You know, a disappointment. Although the it right. was great songs.
3: Yeah, the songs were yeah.
2: yeah. You know, uh, Jeff. I think Jeff Lynne did a lot of those. Um. Uh. You know, be, previous to that, um, John Farah, her producer and guitar right. player, wrote just about all of her hit songs and a lot of the stuff on her album and stuff. But then I'm pretty sure for Xanadu that a lot of those were Jeff Lynn compositions. Like yellow, I think he
3: right?
2: Yeah. I think he produced them anyway and he probably wrote them. But uh but a lot of great songs, just a kind of a I don't know, that movie just kinda of laid there. But um um yeah and then
1: you know after that I don't know that she did that much.
2: Um mm. Of yeah, she, did, she did. A couple yeah, of things. she did. Like,
1: another one with like John Tra- John Travolta, which is, like, Oh, you're balls. right. You're yeah. right. Yes, yeah, she did do uh, at least one with him. Yeah, the music was and, good, but the movie was terrible. <laughs> yeah,
2: I did. Uh, I uh, I met John Travolta through her. Okay. We were playing Vegas in 1978, and uh, Greece, I believe, had just been released. Or was about to be, and but the, you're the one that I want was out there as a single. And so he came, um, met Olivia and I in in her dressing room, and I we kind of went through that song, and then he got out and just unannounced, um, you know, sang that with her.
3: Right.
2: And it was pandemonium. You know, the the, the oh, audience God. had no idea, and he was really good. I mean, and he just he was all over the stage and. Uh, so that was kind of cool. I talked him for a bit. He was a nice, you know, nice fella. Right. And, uh, um, and in fact, I, I wound up playing uh now. This is, now forget this. this is a long story that not enough would pay off. So let's move on.
1: Okay. <laughs> okay. So, but you were like performing with, I, I didn't realize how like huge he was even before Greece. How many like singles she had? I never really knew knew that before that.
2: Yes, yeah,
1: big hit records. Uh, When I joined her, um,
2: a thing called "Have You Never Been Mellow" was rising on the charts. That was a pretty good, uh, pretty big hit for her. She kind of started. I think her first hit in this country was a cover of Dylan's uh, "If Not for You." It was kind of a mild hit, and then she kind of went country uh, with. uh, uh, let me be there, and uh, if you love me, let me know. Right. And uh, and then she had a, a, a big hit with, uh, a, I believe, a Peter Allen composition. I honestly love you, a beautiful ballad that we yeah. would a- actually close. We closed every show with a ballad. You know, most people, you know, you uh, know, do something up tempo and try to get the audience into, it. you know, encore. She no, she just wanted to end with this just beautiful, moving ballad and. And that was it. But um, the years I was with her, she some of the a lot of, she had a lot of you know good tunes. Not too many of them did that well until Greece in '78. And we did a world tour, uh, which included Japan. And it was our second time to Japan. We'd gone there in '76, And unfortunately, the movie had not been released there yet. And they had been counting on that. Uh, to boost ticket sales and so on. So we didn't do as well uh, as we did the first time. Plus she had uh, openly criticized uh, the Japanese uh, uh, slaughtering of dolphins and so on. I think maybe in, in, in their pursuit of tuna or whatever. Right. And, and so, you know, the, 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 the political, and I agree with her, you know, completely, but I, I think, uh, it created a bit of a controversy in Japan, and we didn't have the – another reason we did, quite didn't have the turnout, you know, that we did before. But, uh, boy, my, my props to her for, um, you know, speaking up for what
3: she believed in. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Yeah,
1: absolutely. So then after you, uh, you know, went yours, I guess, separate ways, uh, is that when you kind of went into acting, or you didn't you Yeah, you yeah. Yeah, I did, uh, actually, I did
2: another uh, I did another tour the following year with a guy from, that was not known in this country, a guy named Demas Rusos, who's kind of a big star, most of the world, except the United States.
3: Okay.
2: And, and so I did that tour, and then I think, okay, uh, I didn't get the record deal, I was hoping, and so on. You know, I was writing my own song and stuff. I said, man, I need a change. How about if I... Um, I, I had done some community theater. I thought, how about if I study this thing for real, and just you know, give another aspect to my performing abilities? So I went to Lewis University and got a degree in uh, speech and theater. And uh, while I was uh, going to school, I was working my way through by just you know play, singing in a, in, uh, in bars and stuff. And um, I uh, at some point. I thought, you know, what if I add a little little comedy shtick to this? Let's see what I can get away with. And so, uh, it, you know, it wasn't so great at first and a little bit awkward. And I maybe borrowed a couple things or whatever. But I, I thought, you know, maybe I'm getting getting the hang of this. And it kept getting better. And I was moving into the more suitable rooms. I'm, you know, I remember when I first started putting comedy stuff into my music show, like I was playing a waiting room at a, a restaurant in Chicago called Lawrence of Oregano, <laughs> and uh, so people they would the the front desk hostess would announce parties, right? You know, okay, the, the Smith party, you know, to go into the, then to go into the main room. So I the you were the entertainer was just keeping the people waiting for tables, okay. you know,
3: right? So, and
2: so so but when I started doing comedy sh- stuff, and then they started announcing. Tables between my setup and my punchline. It's I'm thinking, well, this may not be a good a good fit yeah. anymore. Yeah. So um, I started playing like eclectic rooms, cabarets, and so on. And then at some point, I think in '84, I thought, well, oh, maybe I, you know, maybe I should see if this would actually work in a real comedy club. And I was scared out of my wits. But I had a friend of mine who was a really good comedian, John Caponera. Uh, got me like, gee, I want to say he got me a 15-minute set, which is really unheard of for someone to to come in and kind of showcase. Right? right. But I did 15 minutes and I blew the roof off the place. I mean, it was insane. And the the the, the floor manager really gets on the phone and talks to the guy that owns the club. <laughs> we got something here. You know, we got something here. So he became my the, the, the owner of the club became my manager, and I started. Uh, um, you know, working on the show and first starting out as a feature act and then, then not too long I started uh headlining and then I was headlining all the time. I, I played the, and it was the only comedy club in Chicago at that time, Zanies. I I headlined that club four weeks in a row wow. in the summer. Uh it was it was crazy. Um and uh so then I you know, I started working around the country and I got you're in New York, you, you you're familiar with Danger Fields, I headlined that, that yeah. place yeah. a couple times and I was out in LA and everything and uh it worked kind of great for a for a while and I had a little bit of an ax ac- whoops, I had a little bit of an accident and I, I lost my health. Um and uh things kind of uh I, I wound up having to just stop performing for a while. So, uh and then I, I finally found a, a way to cure my ills and I eventually got back on the horse and, you know, started working clubs again. But I I lost all the, the, the momentum I had as, as an actor and as a comedian. I just lost it, you know. So, like, I was pretty ill when I did the first major league. And uh, uh, so by the time I, you know, I felt better, it, it was... I don't know, maybe ninety two and uh, the world had kinda of passed me by, but I still still made a living doing comedy, doing corporate work and whatever. I was still headlining zanies and other places and um, up until um at some point I realized that uh I was so much older than the, the the people going to the comedy clubs.
3: Right. You know,
2: I'm doing impressions of Paul McCartney or whatever, right? Well, if the kids are too too young to know who Paul McCartney is mm-hmm. you are in trouble. Yeah. You know? And so it was becoming a, a younger, more ethnic group that just couldn't relate and at some point I, I called up uh, Bert who managed the zanies at that time. I said, Bert, I think uh I think it's time, you know, to call it a day. So uh you know I still did did other th- you know, still did private events and, and theaters and whatever but then I started working on uh, the new show. The heroes of rock, and I kind of had a new, you know, lease on life again. You gotta kind of, you know, reinvent yourself um, occasionally. So right. uh, that's what I've done. I mean, I've been. This is my 55th year in show business. Wow. Yeah. How about that? Um, yeah. So uh, I'm still. I still got my still got my voice i can still play i'm still funny and um you know uh, and i'm able to
1: to use my talents to make people happy it's not a bad thing right no absolutely now i can turn this to like major league now um sure sure when you yeah uh how uh, the audition process uh, when you went in were you strictly auditioning for monty or was it another role
2: the first part of the audition was actually for to uh, for an opposing ball player,
3: okay,
2: a ball player on an opposing team who was up at bat and at bat, and I believe perhaps being heckled by the catcher, memory serves me correct, right, right. And uh, in fact, they asked me to bring a ball and a glove, or you know, whatever, just to prove that I could play baseball, which I could. Uh, that was my best sport, and you know, so I could handle that fine. And uh, then uh, they said, okay, well, uh, we'd like to read for uh, for Color Man. And I just uh, read one line and did kind of a take, and they all laughed. And um, and then two weeks later, I get the call that I got the, the part of Monty. You know, she could have knocked me over with a feather. I thought I had blown it. Like, you know, you blow so many auditions. You audition for, for a lot of stuff and, and don't get things and that one they saw something and they liked it and um because you know it was filmed in um Milwaukee. Milwaukee at the, at right. the old uh, Brewer stadium which I don't yeah. even know if that exists anymore
3: no, I think um, it's far
2: down yeah did they okay and um so they came to Chicago to to flesh out the the cast right and um so um we filmed all our stuff on a uh, like a 3-day weekend probably long, uh uh probably some overtime, you know, went into the evening and so on. And uh, we used one of the uh, broadcast booths for the home games and then go to the other broadcast booth for away games. Right. Kind of decorated a little differently for, depending on what state, you know, we were supposedly in. And uh, it was a beautiful, it was, I believe it was June. It's beautiful weather and uh, just, just great. Uh, Bob Bucher was wonderful. And, um, but I didn't, I didn't get any direction. You know, they didn't say anything to me. I just got up there and just kind of winged it. I really didn't know what I was doing. And so uh, the second day, the director, David Ward, goes up to me, hey, you know, we just watched the, we just watched the rushes. You're really funny. (laughs) And so it was like, it was kind of a left-handed compliment. Like, you're funny, but we didn't even bother to watch you when we were filming yesterday.
3: Yeah. (laughs)
2: So, uh, but, you know, I'm I'm there as a a straight man or foil for, you know, Harry Doyle. So I understand that. They had to make sure his stuff was on. Of course. But Bob Eugard was amazing because they were both, both movies. They were rewriting, constantly doing rewrites. And they would hand it to him right before we were to shoot. And he would just memorize the new dialogue right on the spot. Right. And do it, you know, almost flawlessly. It was really, really good. And then for the downtime, uh, I got him to relate me uh, baseball anecdotes.
3: Okay. I mean, what's?
2: Of them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what's better than you're in a movie? I've never been in a movie before. I'm 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 acting in a movie, and Bob Bucher is telling me stories in between setups and so on. I mean, you know, it was heaven. Yeah. Any Any um, ones
1: they remember? Oh no, no, yeah. too
2: long ago. Thirty years right. is, yeah, I don't have that kind of me- uh, memory.
3: Right.
2: But um, um, I'd uh, I do remember that um, I spent a little time talking to Tom Berenger in the hotel lobby one night. Okay. And uh, he was not happy. Um, I don't think he and the director were clicking right away. Right. right and he was dissatisfied and kind of sorry that he you know, signed up for this thing or whatever. Well, until until a movie comes out and it's this huge hit. Right, of course. <laughs> and then, of course, he comes back for the sequel and so
3: on. Yeah. So I think he ch- changed his attitude about that. But, um, uh, yeah,
2: other memories. Uh, yeah, and of course, five years later, we do the other one. And, and that was not nearly as much fun, but that's not what we're talking about today. Today's the 30th anniversary. Yeah. How can that be? You know, when I look at it now, you know, is that I don't quite look like that anymore. I wish I did, but uh, you know, I don't. It looks like my son or my grandson up there. Like, holy crap! But um, uh, who? None of us knew that it would be, you know, this classic that people would. You know, people walk up Mm -hmm. to me and they they can recite the whole movie. Of
1: course, yeah, I I probably could too. It's you know (laughs) one of my one of my favorite movies. I watch it every time it's on. I, I, oh, cool. except, except when it's on, like, basic cable, because then you have to, you, like, you know, censor it, and it's just not as funny. Right. You know, well, you know, but... and, uh,
2: you might find this interesting. Uh, I mean, I don't have to censor right now, right? You can.
1: No, of course.
3: Yeah. Okay.
2: Um, my audition was, uh, I was responding to, and the line was, originally, Harry Doyle says, is that all we got? One hit? One fucking hit? <laughs> And I say, you can't say fucking on the air. So that was the original, that was the original, you know, those are the original lines. And Bob right. was doing beer commercials and stuff at the time. And I think he thought, you know, uh, yeah. maybe not be right for him to say that. So they, ch- they changed it to, uh, goddamn. God, was it goddamn? Right. Yeah. So, yeah. So the, we censored ourselves at that point, you know,
3: so, uh, yeah. Uh,
2: but then, yeah, to see it censored, yeah, because it's a little body, and to see it censored on TV, it really kind of takes the
3: right
2: the heart out of it, you know.
1: Right, it's, and it's, it's yeah, it's, and and so, it's funny, yeah, uh, because you know, like even like you know after he said that line, what what I think like makes that line is you repeating it to him on the air, you know.
2: Right. <laughs> well, I'm putting my hand over the right. mic, as you, as, I'm Over as the as mic, if as if it's not going to pick it up. Of course. You know. Yeah. But it's,
1: yeah. It's brilliant. <laughs> but yeah. But like, even like we mentioned about the censorship, like when they have the, um, the Asian, uh, you know, what's it called grounds crew talking and they, they censor, you know, the uh, subtitles. So you hear, Oh really? Yeah. They don't even say oh. when you watch it, you know, Oh you know, wow. Regular cable DVD is, you know, it says they're still, still shit, but it's just, right. you, you, you lose a little translation, you know, right. you know, with, with basic cable. <laughs> Right, I guess so. Yeah,
2: I don't really watch the movie. I you know, occasionally we'll see a picture or Yeah. I I'm very uh, not comfortable watching myself. Right. I, you know, I, I'm too critical. Yeah. And uh uh so I don't really watch it, you know, since I don't know when the last time I actually, you know, watched the whole movie through. I just, you know, let other people tell me <laughs> tell me about it. So Of course, yeah. <laughs> um How about they? I did a. uh, They did a little uh, uh, special on uh, CBS television in Milwaukee. They did a celebration a 30 year anniversary, and I they came to my home and we did some interviewing, and um, and that was it. So it was kind of a a show about the the people in the general area that had participated in the movie, and I thought they did a very very you know did a nice job. Yeah. Now, so it's nice uh, to be remembered and thought of, you know, yeah. for whatever reason. You know, yeah, it's uh, a lot better than that felony, you know, that uh, I, you yeah, know, I i Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, 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 oh. I'm,
1: glad, I'm glad you rebounded from that, you know. Thank you. Carved out a nice <laughs> career, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. But was the reason uh, why they, like, chose Milwaukee was, was maybe, like, Cleveland, like, the stadium there, was that unavailable to shoot? It? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Scheduling yeah. problems with uh, – the Cleveland Stadium,
2: and I can't remember what that stadium is called now. Oh, but, um, uh, Cleveland Municipal Stadium, I think. That that sounds right. That yeah. sounds right. I think they did uh, shoot some exteriors. Right, right. Um, but uh, yeah, they could not get so so Brewer Stadium. I guess thought they thought it was you know similar and
3: yeah.
2: maybe similar sized town or whatever. And uh, uh, I thought it you know worked well. But you know David Ward, this is his story. He grew up in Cleveland. Okay. And his his heartbreak with the you know, Cleveland team is yeah. what, you know, inspired the story. Right. So, um
1: and it's uh anyway. it's pretty amazing, you know, they've they've had so much heartbreak since then. You know, they've been to a, quite a couple World Series and they even lose to the Cubs in the World Series. I mean, how bad can that oh, get, you
2: know? <laughs> right. Wow, yeah. How about that?
1: Yeah, yeah. that's
2: uh Two long time uh, lovable losers uh, right. uh, competing. Um, yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, I, you know, so I grew up with the, as a Cub fan and went through all right. that for, you know, uh, many decades. Um, right. But, um, so I could relate.
1: Yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. A couple of things in the movie, I don't know if you can confirm it or not, but like uh, Wesley Snipes to play Willie Mays, Hayes. Every time that he was running, he was always in slow motion. Now I heard it was because he was just like the slowest runner, so they kind of like did that in slow motion to make it look like he was fast. You know, I, I that I don't know,
2: but I do have a, a little behind the scenes something for you. Okay. Uh, from the from the, I think I heard this from the director, that Tom Berenger threw like a girl. <laughs> which is what you used to do to, you know, insult somebody, not so politically you correct, know, now, correct yeah. now. But, uh, so they, the guy that was the catcher for the, uh, I believe the Dodgers, uh, oh, yeah. was, I do right? Yes. It
3: yes. was like,
2: had to be like the stunt person for okay. the pros to second base and so on. Cause just Tom was not a baseball player. Right. So, uh, I could have done it. I would have been I mean, you know, it wouldn't have been as good a part to be a, a ball player on another team but yeah. I was pretty good, uh you know, I was small, so I, I you know, I was a second baseman, shortstop, pretty really good fielder. Right. Hit pretty well, not for power. But um so I always, you know, as a kid, God we played baseball almost every day of the year, weather permitting. You know, we find an empty lot or go to a schoolyard or whatever and just play baseball like crazy. Couldn't get enough
3: Right. we'd set and up we, our
2: bikes uh, as the uh the home run fence we we, we would you know put our bikes at where the home run fence would be so if you hit it over the bike it's a home run
1: right yeah we um i grew up in new york city in Queens, so we put, would play stickball a lot so that was Oh wow yeah so that was a lot wow. of fun. now yeah. where do you
2: play where do you play stickball
1: i had um it basically um, across the street from my house was my elementary school. So they had a big schoolyard oh, and they had okay. like, you know, a little wall where you kind of drew the strike zone. So basically okay. you only two, two or three people, you don't need to catch her because the ball came back to you if you didn't hit it. And then if you hit it, you try to run and catch it or you had kind of like designated fielder out there. So it was really game of three. You didn't really need yeah. more, more than that. Okay. Then, yeah, okay. Eventually, you know, eventually played regular baseball. On like a you know, okay. traditional field, but yeah, stickball was great. You know, it's a lot of huh. fun. A- a- except when the ball went in the street and you had to like you know dodge cars to get it. <laughs> right, <laughs> right, know. right. Yeah,
2: sure. It.
1: Yeah, yeah. But
2: um, yeah, we yeah we'd have problem breaking windows. Oh yeah. You know, course. with the with the yeah. league we played with a league, you know, and then, and then you hit the, that would easily break windows. But uh, in fact, I'm reading a this is not that important. You're a New Yorker, but Mr. Cub is Ernie Banks right. in Chicago. And I grew up with him. When I started watching baseball in like, oh fifty three 53 or so, it was his first year. So so I'm reading a biography about him right now, which is uh, very interesting. So, oh, uh, great.
1: Yeah I, yeah, I love like baseball biographies. I so maybe I'll have to have to read that. You know,
2: uh, yeah, it just family. came out this year. It's, an, it's a new one, I, and i am just started it. So I so I, I, I hear that it talks, you know, it's, you know, the good and the bad, and,
0: right. know, it's
2: it's it's kind of a, a even, you know, honest uh, coverage up him. so, anyway. Well, anything else you can think of?
1: Oh, yeah, you know, we said, you know, there's actually another anniversary this year. We, we said we weren't going to talk about it, but it's the 25th anniversary of the, of the sequel. You know, you want to be, uh, you know. Yes, that's true. That's yeah. true, yeah.
3: Yeah.
1: Now, what, like, um, it came out five years do the math five years after the original what um right. why did it take so long for the sequel to come out do
2: you know i don't know you know i think writing is
1: the right. biggest problem you know they and,
2: and the writing wasn't that great for the second and then they did yeah. uh he sold the rights to, to uh, david ward sold the rights to somebody else who decided to do the which technically one, right? was not yeah was not actually major league three if they ever do another major league it will be Major League Major, 3. Right. Yeah. The, the The other thing was not really considered part of the series. And uh, right. I talked to uh, Bob Euchre about that, and I really he regretted uh, being in it because it was so awful. But I guess, in fact, he initially refused. Right. But they made him an offer he couldn't turn down. So right. he did it, and then he said, "Man, they, they 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 didn't know any. They didn't know what the hell they were doing. I mean, they yeah. were just. They knew nothing about baseball." He said it was it so bad. Awful. Yeah, it was,
1: yeah. It, was, it was terrible. And then yeah. you know you get like you know Ted uh, McGinley in there, who seems to kill every show. Yeah, I joke. Uh. He, he's great, <laughs> but yeah, that was that was always the running joke. Anything that he was in would always get canceled.
2: So. <laughs> oh, wow,
1: that's funny. That's yeah.
2: funny. So there was so Camden Yards was used right. for the the, uh, second one, yeah. the second one. Yeah. And which is a beautiful, um, beautiful stadium. Yeah. But we were, we shot that in November. Oh, boy. (laughs) And so it was like 40 degrees. It rained part of the time. Uh, We had a little heater under the, under the desk there, but we were freezing. And uh, the director, in fact, got sick. So he, he was really ornery. And he came down with a flu or something. So half of the shoot, he was in a remote studio somewhere. We were talking by walkie-talkie,
3: hmm.
2: uh, and so just the the vibe wasn't great. I could see I could see our breaths when we were talking. Wow. And it's supposed to be summer. I thought, and it was right. somehow it did not show up.
1: In yeah, the movie. I, I don't know. Yeah, I didn't see it. Yeah. I don't know how.
2: In fact, there's one point where Harry Doyle uh, passes out drunk. Right.
1: right. And you take over.
2: <laughs> yeah. And I looked over at Bob and his muscles were spasming oh. from the cold. Right. He's, he's wearing nothing like, but a tank, tank top. top. Yeah,
3: yeah. Right.
2: And he he's just freezing. But, you know, he's a he's a pro. He's a trooper. He, you know, did what he had to do. But uh,
1: now like, again, yeah, when yeah, when you did the play by play, what it was like fly ball. Well, yeah, yeah. Was that like kind of like was that in script? Something you improvised? Was something like no? That was discussing? in the script. In fact, oh, it okay. went on longer, right. I believe, for a fight in the dugout. I want oh, to
2: right. say, right? Yeah, right. Uh, and so they cut, you know, got two thirds of it, but a little, you know, was left. And uh, they wanted uh, initially it was uh, the, the instructions were uh, for me to deliver it a little bit differently, but that, I just felt like he was kind of out of his element, and right. you know. Just awkward. I just wanted to make it seem awkward, like he really didn't, wasn't good at this. You know, there's a reason he was color man and not play-by-play. Uh, uh, play. Right. Uh, apparently, these characters were based on a real broadcast team okay. in the Midwest somewhere. I can't tell you where, and that's how um, David got the idea for it.
1: Right. Of uh, a yeah. kind of
2: a blustery guy that, that that hogs, you know, the mic, and the other guy that just
1: okay. doesn't
2: get a word in. Right.
1: It wasn't like all of a sudden you can become like Bob Costas or like Finn Scully. <laughs> yeah, that wouldn't make any. Yeah, it wouldn't yeah. make any sense. It right. Wouldn't be funny. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. But um, if they ever do make a Major League Three, maybe they can get you in. Uh, as the well, well,
2: if, well they got to ask first. Yeah. And of course, and they got to get financing for the film, which I doubt if they ever will. You right. know, I think At that, point, I think that yeah. ship, that ship has sailed. Yeah. You know, unless they come up with—I mean, how do you keep, tell that story over again? You know, it's like—it's yeah. yeah—and plus,
1: it's like so hard to come up with like with sequels to comedies. They're just not exactly, as funny, you know, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the second so, one had some decent parts, but I mean, yeah, I had it had a doesn't, few. It doesn't it doesn't hold, you know, a candle. No, in the first one. no, no. It uh, it
2: it can't. Uh, so I, I, in a way, I kind of hope that they don't do it again, right? Because unless they come up with some phenomenal. Idea, you know right. unless, unless they want it to be Monty's story
3: you know turn it into
2: let's make it about my character well, okay, I'll be excited about that, but uh yeah. other than that um you know i kind of, in a way, I hope they don't unless you know they really come up with something brilliant, and I don't see how they can so right yeah anyway. but,
1: uh, yeah but Skip, this was great um where can people find more information about your show?
2: go to my uh website skipgriparis.com. dot com that's s k i p G-R-I-P-A-R-I-S. And they can you know learn a little more about my history and see a little video of my new show. And uh, um, I hope to be playing in a, in a town near you soon. So,
1: yeah, so thank you be, so much. Great talking great. to yeah, you. Yeah, thank you so enjoy, much. I really
2: yeah, appreciate it. Enjoy this great sp- spring day. And um, talk to you later. <laughs>
0: And a special thanks to Skip for joining me today. Go check out skipriparis.com for more information about the Heroes of Rock show. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at the thefirstnol19. Be sure to like the page for Living My Youth on Facebook. Go to iTunes, check out all the past episodes we've had. While you're there, please rate and review the show. And I'm going to select five random people who leave a review on iTunes to get a t-shirt featuring a brand new logo. Which is featured in our new store, the Living My Youth. The But if you don't have iTunes, you can still hear the show on SoundCloud, on Podbean. A new episode comes out every Wednesday, and we'll see you next week.